On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, it's time to talk about the NBA draft. The Pacers, they have three picks, including their highest selection since 1988. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, The last NBA season now has officially completed with the Golden State Warriors. A dynasty now. Fourth title in eight years, six finals appearances, and what a special performance performance is by Steph Curry. Good to see him get that MVP because I was very tired of that narrative about him needing a finals MVP to finally prove his case and show his value. Get out of here. I cannot do with that conversation, but it was great to see the Warriors win. I don't really make predictions, but I just casually thought, yeah, six games sounds about right, and that's what it ultimately ended up being. And uh, what a fun run for the that Warriors team, but a lot of it comes with the commitment from ownership, a very good general manager in Bob Myers, and then, of course, a franchise-changing player, Hall of Famer, top 15 type player of all time, and Steph Curry. It's not any one of those things. It's the combination. And together, in all, what a fantastic run they have had for nearly a decade and probably will continue on for at least another year or two. But several individuals with Pacers Indiana ties on that championship team from a staff perspective. Mike Brown, former Pacers assistant, He was the top assistant for the Warriors, now moving on to the Kings, and this week introduced as the head coach officially. Former Pacer Mike Dunleavy Jr. is the assistant GM. He was here for a week in March for the Big Ten Tournament at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, uh, like row four the entire way. What a great seat that he had with uh, Bob Myers and one of their other scouts. Leandro Barbosa, he had a short stint with the Pacers. I refer to him as Poppy because that's what many of them uh, many Pacers, at least while he was here, uh, called him. Hilton Armstrong was here for, I think, training camp. And then former IU performer Wilp Sheehy. Both of those two are assistant video coordinators. So happy to see all of them part of the championship. And also, you guys don't probably care about this, but I'll give a shout-out to Raymond Ritter. Easily the best PR guy in the league tremendous staff and it's everything in the details you arrive in san francisco or oakland there's a packet delivered to your hotel there's goodies inside the next morning he'll call you hey do you need anything do you understand you know how to get there where you're going or do you have your credential are you good it's like that just does not happen like no other team does that i made a request for a front office member got him before the game and uh, i'll have a story uh, with that member here sometime this summer when things slow down because (laughs) as I'm recording this, I've posted three stories today. You're probably uh, getting bombarded with those emails and and stories on Twitter and such. I just don't have enough time to write all the stories that I really want to do. I've never understood some of the writers that, man, I'm desperate for story. No, I got a list of about 75 stories without talking to anybody else that I could write right now. Right now, but uh, all right, let's get to some draft stuff. I apologize, have not been uh, very active here on the podcast the last couple of weeks, and that's because I've been writing uh, at least daily, is what it feels like, attending every one of the workouts that the Pacers hosted 13 of them uh, in all. 
and uh, talked with so many of the guys, especially all of the key elite guys that are expected to go inside the top ten. Because so the Pacers have you know hosted you know what over thirteen workouts that we know of. More than fifty guys in all have been brought through. That's slightly more than usual, but not too far off. Usually, kind of mid forties by my count. That now goes back a decade, which. I'm proud of, but also kind of laugh at as well. I think it's notable this is Rick Carlisle's really true first draft where he's fully involved in the process. Last year was kind of a hybrid model as we came out of COVID. Um, Still brought in a ton of guys, but for instance, media, it was done over Zoom entirely. So we did not get to see anybody. We did get to talk with them, to be clear. Uh, but those were fully over Zoom, which you have no feel for guys whatsoever. And that's very important. And I'll explain why later on in this conversation. But telling that, you know, Rick's involved in this process. And one of the many reasons I love going to these pre-draft workouts is not who I'm talking to, but it's what I'm seeing. It's the scouts in attendance, the front office members in attendance some Pacer players in attendance. I'm not sure Tyrese Halliburton has left the Pacers facility since the season ended three months ago. Dude is just around, engaged, and wants to be here. And again, I think that's yet another reason why the Pacers traded for him. They need more guys with that mentality. But some of the other stuff I'm seeing is like Monday after the workout, it's Lloyd Pierce, lead assistant coach, working with Shaden Sharp, providing him instruction, seeing if he follows through. I'm less watching the drills, the the shooting. Does he, you know, did he make nine of fifty? I don't care. Like, if you get caught up in shooting really good or really bad in these workouts, you've missed it all. I want to see the interactions. Are they shaking hands with guys afterward? Are they smiling? Are they having a good time? Do they appreciate the opportunity? Do they take instruction? Are they a competitor? Um, the very little, and I probably should specify this, at these workouts, those of us local reporters, we're not watching. Uh, maybe we'll get a watch, I don't know, two, three, five minutes. I'm not sure we watch more than 10 minutes of a workout. We're usually brought in. They're wrapping up three-on-three, three, getting to free throws. I think the last three or four workouts, the door was open for us just as they finished. I wish I could offer you more about you know who shined and who looked great. Well, I can't offer that personal opinion. Yes, I'm talking to people in, on the Pacers who are there and, and have some opinions, and you also take those opinions with a grain of salt because you got to keep in mind, why would they be telling you this? There's always usually agenda. Some people you're closer with and you know you guys go back 20 years. You guys have that trust. I'm not going to necessarily report it or, or I use it to help shape my opinion, but um, you can keep that private until a certain time, things like that. But I did laugh, by the way, when I woke up here uh, Tuesday and, and someone had retweeted a report about, you know, Dyson Daniels had the greatest workout of all time the Pacers have seen. Even if it was that good, like how can you even compare <laughs> ever? Like, I that's nauseating to me. I don't enjoy that conversation. Hyperbole much is basically what I tweeted after that. I too was heard he had a good workout. I would not specify it anything close to one of the greatest workouts. I actually heard Ben Matherin had a better workout. He was the most impressive guy during this workout period with over 50 guys being brought in. But again, I also don't read too much into it. Now, if a guy, one of those elite guys, fell through the cracks and was you know third, fourth, didn't compete, lost his way, got injured during it. Now we're talking a little bit 
That helps inform my opinion a little bit for sure. It's much like winning and losing. You don't want to overreact. Um, you also want to recognize different things you're hearing and, and why it's being put out there in the first place. But it is noteworthy, going back to my comment a couple minutes ago about Rick Carlisle, this, him being fully engaged. There's several times, by the way, when Rick's, uh, maybe he got a number of a prospect or he was at the side basket working on a, a shot or a free throw. And I saw that with a variety of prospects. Now, he did that with Isaiah Jackson last year. I remember that completely. And then the Pacers traded up to draft Isaiah Jackson. So maybe it speaks to he really likes a guy and wants to see him evolve and wants to see him and how he takes that instruction because he maybe wants to have him on the team. Or maybe he's just a basketball geek and wants to coach and do what, well, coaches do. But obviously he has some influence there. And, and more than anything, you're, I think you'll see the draft picks represent the type of playing style that Rick wants to do. More of a five out, more playing fast, more shooters. Generally that type of thing is what you're looking at. You want to gear your players. First of all, actually to be clear, when you're you're drafting six, you had an awful season. You need talent at every position, right? Like, you're drafting best player available. If, if there's an overlap at guard, guess what? You can trade one down the road and get great value, hopefully more value. So I don't get caught up in that. You're getting best player um, available. Uh, something of note also of people that have been at these workouts, I reported how the Pacers hired Happy Walters uh, as a consultant. He's a former NBA agent. Everybody in the NBA world knows of him, his, his involvement, his influence. He's repped many different Pacers over the years. He's also repped high-level uh, talent as well. But he told me he kind of just got tired of that business and wanted to get himself into something new here after about 15 years as an agent. You can read his full, full comments at fieldhousefiles.com. Uh, after Tuesday's workout, we heard from Ryan Carr, as we usually do. He's the VP of player personnel. He's been leading the Pacers in their draft stuff and their player evaluation for what's been nearly 20 years. He's a former IU manager. Um, so I always say managers in college, man, those are some of the hardest working people. They're not at parties. They're logging tape at midnight to make their coach happy and, and check that off, those type of things. Well, Carr is one of those hardworking guys, and he's got an incredible story that did whatever it takes to then come with the Pacers, had a side gig. He was working in the mornings, then would come to the Pacers, help out in the video room, and, and all these different things. Just a remarkable story that I'll write more about in the coming weeks here. But he spoke after Tuesday and, and said he expects about five guys to be considered Four of the five spots ahead of them, uh, and obviously right in front of them specifically, is after that top three, Sacramento in four, Detroit in five. And at six, should they stay there, which I think it's more likely than not, is they hope to get, quote, a foundational piece. And, and he's absolutely right. That's what you're looking for. At six, you want a certain NBA all-star with all-NBA potential, uh, someone to grow and become a face of the team with. Tyrese Halliburton but keep in mind now we're not just less than a week out from the draft but especially here a few days before there's so much talking going on a lot of different smoke screens you're seeing keep in mind who you're following on Twitter there's several guys out there I'm not sure they've ever gotten anything right but guess what if you report a name that's kind of obvious you put per source you mention another team and all of a sudden that thing's got 200 retweets 
it's pretty laughable to me. So just keep that in mind. You know all the key guys you probably should be following at this point. And in terms of possible trades, yes, I do think Malcolm Brogdon is on the way out. Seemed kind of likely when he even did the extension last fall. A lot of people that I talked to with were kind of noncommittal about it. Um, said that it kind of made sense. And with Brogdon accepting a lower average value, like it usually deals go up. His decreased and willing to accept that. Well, that spoke to his injury history, how you can't count on him for about 20, 25 games per year. But then when the Pacers acquired Tyrese Halliburton, made him the franchise guy, have said all those type of things, you just don't need him. And even worse, when Halliburton was out there with Brogdon, the limited time we saw, I didn't like that version of Tyrese. He was hesitant, didn't command, didn't have that presence, hesitated, deferred to Brogdon. You don't want that. You want the best version of Tyrese. And I, I think that's with getting younger, getting a better asset, getting someone that can help him on the wing, maybe some more defense. And if I'm the Pacers and I can flip Malcolm for a late lottery pick this year, I would be overjoyed. If I could get 10, 11, 12, that'd be fantastic. And later on, I'll tell you who I would take with that pick if they did ultimately do that. Maybe they would have to throw in number 31 this year as a sweetener. I'd probably still do it. Because how special would it be for this Pacers and going ahead with probably another rebuilding year with some cap space. And that's one thing, by the way, they'd pay, be able to get by moving off Malcolm Brogdon. Right now they have like roughly 25. You remove his 20-plus million, you're looking at 45 cap space this summer. And remember, you don't have to use it all at once. You just kind of need to get above a certain level by next year and and fall within a range and that means the Pacers could take on a, a bad contract or two and acquire additional picks. There's so many different ways that the Pacers front office can be creative, that they can get younger, that they can get faster, more shooting, more defense, and get a core together, shape a core that fits appropriately. And, and back to my previous point was that last year in the draft, really good thus far in the early returns. I never evaluate a draft class after one year, but really good. I thought to be able to get Chris Duarte and then Isaiah Jackson this year, if you could get someone at 6 and then say 11-12, I really like that moving forward with what they have and the other pieces around them. Now with Miles Turner, I'm very split on this. I'm not sold on the idea that they're shopping him. My understanding more so is that they're listening to offers for him and considering it. The tricky thing with Miles is that he's entering a contract year. The other thing is that he hasn't played a game since January. And the other thing is you haven't seen him with Tyrese Halliburton yet. And for all of those reasons, I'd really like to see him begin the season with the Pacers and see what he looks like. There's inherent risk involved, mainly for the Pacers, in that if he gets hurt and you know plays out the final year of his contract because you couldn't trade him before the trade deadline, that hurts you. However, there's a chance maybe he, he starts off slowly or decides, hey, I do. I would kind of like to lock in a guarantee. I will sign a contract extension, and even if I don't like it here or want elsewhere, I can figure that out later. That's kind of the new way of doing things for a lot of these players. But for Miles, there might be something nice. And being a big man coming off last two seasons where you don't finish the seasons due to injury, to accept a lower price but some guarantees, that would help the Pacers but I'm not sold on the fact that they wouldn't necessarily want to move on from him but if they do that would be another 20 million so you're going from 25 to 45 to 
let's say $65 million in cap space with those deals, assuming you didn't take back a bad contract or two, which maybe that would be likely or uh, incentivized, too, with an additional draft pick. I do feel bad for Miles the last several years because he's basically lived in trade conversations, and we also know he's very active on social media. He's probably listening to this and other Pacers podcasts. That's just who he is. He's very engaged, very involved. I don't knock it as long as you can accept it and understand the realities of that situation. But it would not be easy. Just imagine you know, if your office was shopping you around or you didn't know if you should go to work tomorrow or what your – it's not exactly apples to apples here, but if you'd have the same coworkers moving forward in that time, it's just awkward. It's uncomfortable a little bit. And especially you got friends talking about it and friends texting you and friends tagging you on Instagram about possible deals or trying to get you home or whatever it is. I can empathize with Miles a little bit because it's not just this year, not just last year. It's really started from what I remember specifically was with the deal the Pacers offered him and a couple other pieces to Boston trying to get Gordon Hayward here. That remains the second most read story on my site, Fieldhouse Files. So the Pacers are at six, and I like where they're at. I think there are about five very good options at number six, which is the highest spot the Pacers have drafted in since 1988. Again, you know this probably by now because you're a diehard fan, but the Pacers have not drafted inside that top ten since 1989. They did draft 10th. In 2010, and that was the last great draft for the franchise when they were able to get Paul George as well as Lance Stevenson in that draft. Now, would they move up? That's absolutely on the table. I would be willing to do that to take Jaden Ivey at the right cost. I'm not mortgaging another future first-round pick and and maybe uh, a current option like Chris Duarte as well. I'm just not seeing that big of gap between Ivey and maybe what you could actually get at six now, Jaden did not work out for the Pacers. I was told here in the last couple of years, Jaden really wanted to play for the Pacers. That really intrigued him to be here in Indianapolis. He obviously, played at Purdue. Has a lot of family friends here. His mom was actually drafted by this franchise, the Indiana Fever. Kelly Kroskoff, who's now the Pacers assistant general manager, drafted Neil in 2001. She played several years with the franchise. She's obviously the women's head coach at Notre Dame and has had a very successful coaching career now. But Jaden only worked out for Orlando, the first pick, and Detroit, the fifth pick. He did meet with the Pacers at the Combine. He Zoomed with them recently. Another name here this week was Shaden Sharp as the Pacers got him and Jake LaRavia from Lawrence Central and Wake Forest in on Monday. Those were the two spotlight players of the six that were involved on Monday. And I thought that was very important for the Pacers to get especially sharp in because you need to know what he is. Uh, I do appreciate how he is visiting teams. He is going through workouts and doing some of that stuff that is asked of him. But that is just such a messy, unknown situation that if I'm the Pacers, I don't even want to get involved with. I have zero interest in messing around with that because I'm afraid of what you don't know even more so. Beyond the unknown of his skill set, right? Former number one player overall, elects to go to UK midseason, wants to play, then decides not to, chooses not to play, lights it up in practice. One of the better players in practice, Coach Cal thought he was playing, then says, hey, you can 
play next year. Well, Shaden probably wasn't going to come back next year, but he dangled it that he might. And then those, <laughs> oh, it's just a messy situation. Then those finally around him indicated that he would, and he declared for the draft and did have a good pro day. If you want to check it out on YouTube, there's several videos of that. Unfortunately, it's vertical video. you got to do that in horizontal. What are we doing? Uh, then he did work out for the Pacers. Really good shooting. Prides himself in being a playmaker. But I'll tell you what. Uh, we talked with him on Monday. We talked with him, I think it was last Friday, in a Zoom interview. And there wasn't one thing I liked about what he said. Worst of all was this. He was asked about his goals. What does he aspire to be? What does he want to be about? And what did he mention? Wants to be rookie of the year. Wants to be an all-star. Wants to be in the Hall of Fame. It's not just one. You know what I don't hear there? I want to help a program. I want to help a team that needs me. I want to win. I want to win a championship. I want to create something special. That's what I want to hear. And even if it's not true, somebody's got to be telling him what to say because he's saying all the wrong stuff. On top of that, I'm not sure I've interviewed more disinterested of a draft prospect than him. Now, I do give him the benefit of the doubt, and you have to because he's 19. And because he didn't play at Kentucky, he didn't really do media interviews. I don't like the fact that he played at three different high schools. Like, what are you doing? I even asked him on Monday, like, how tough is it not to have roots anywhere? Like, who are you a part of, right? Like, I'm prideful about going to North Central and about going to Indiana University, the only place I applied. It's where I've wanted to go my lifetime. I'm prideful about that. Jaden Ivey's probably prideful about playing at Purdue and trying to help them get out of the Sweet 16 and try to get to the Final Four. He tried. They didn't, but they tried. I don't like anything Shaden Sharp said. And for all the hype and hoopla about him, the risk-reward, nope, that's just not there for me. All right, so who do I like for them? Well, let's speak in terms of assumptions that Ivy and Murray are off the board because if they aren't, I'd go with those two. So after that, my guy is Benedict Matherin. I said that on a Memphis Grizzly uh, podcast a couple weeks ago, and I stay with that pick. Benedict Matherin of Arizona liked what I heard from some of the Arizona coaches, liked what I saw. He was really impressive and engaging interview at the draft combine, heard good things about his Pacers workout, liked what I saw on tape, like how he really evolved his game and how he really benefited from the changing coach, from Sean Miller to Tommy Lloyd. And if you don't know Tommy Lloyd, I don't either, but Domas Sabonis knows him very well. He's the one who recruited Domas to Gonzaga, and then Tommy Lloyd finally getting the job at Arizona this past year. Well, he moved to a more NBA-type offense, free-flowing, five-out, attacking. And that's why you saw, in large part, Matherin's numbers just increase. He attacked more, made a lot of backdoor cuts, had some physicality, does need to improve on his dribbling. If he's putting it on the floor more than a couple times, that's a little concerning because of his handles sometimes. But I love the shooting, 40% from three. For him to become a playmaker, I would love to see a lineup of Halliburton, of Duarte, of Matherin. That's the guy I've been on and I've said for several weeks now. So I will stay with him. And beyond basketball, he's got an incredible story. He speaks four languages. French is his primary language. Went and really evolved at the NBA Academy. Went down to Mexico. He's just been a really impressive guy. Most impressive interview, that'd be Dyson Daniels. He's a bigger point guard. That's what he would represent. More of a combo guard, actually. I think he's 6'8 in shoes. 6'6 without, by the way. I don't know which one we should go off of. What I always default is 
in shoes because you don't play basketball out of shoes, but that's also not truly how large you are. Nonetheless, Daniel's got a great story. He's Australian, really friendly, engaged through this whole process. Like, even if you don't want to do these interviews, fake it. Because it makes me wonder, going back to Shaden Sharp, if this is what he's like with us, which you know the interviews will live forever on YouTube and, and all that. And oh, and by the way, I should mention, if you're not going to my YouTube page and fieldhousefiles.com, you got to. I've been posting uh, videos of the elite players and those of local interest on the YouTube page, so you can watch the full interview with, with Dyson Daniels and with you know Jaden Ivey. Andrew Nembar, a guy that interests me at 31, uh, although the Pacers already have a backup point guard in TJ McConnell. But, uh, yeah, check out my YouTube page uh, for a lot of new videos there, including a behind-the-scenes of what we typically see at one of these draft workouts. Kind of on, on several different tangents here, but to go back on Matherin, that'd be my guy at six, assuming Ivy and Murray are off the board. If not Matherin, Daniels would be it. I'd be very interested to see the dynamic in the backcourt with Halliburton and Daniels. Daniels has talked about he doesn't have to be a ball-dominant guy. He's not a good shooter. That's where he's got to improve upon. But from what I've seen and heard from him, he's a guy that if you tell him to go do something, I expect him to be in the gym at 9 p.m. getting additional shots up. He's a, primarily a defender, can defend multiple positions. And my goodness, we don't need to see that Pacers defense of the last two years. That was enough. I mean, wasn't their defensive rating like 25? Not good, not fun. Yes, injuries played a factor, but defense has to get back to being the focus. And if you need any indication of that, it was the finals. Boston number one, the Golden State Warriors number two. The third guy on my list I'm really enamored with is also a defensive-minded guy, and that's Jeremy Sohan. Baylor, he basically calls himself a world traveler. He's been all over the world, has a unique story. He was really fascinating to talk with as well. At the draft combine, was scheduled to visit the Pacers for a workout. But get this, and this is unusual circumstance and difficult one. He and two others coming to Indy on the same flight. I believe they were coming from Phoenix, and they got diverted mid-flight due to a medical emergency in St. Louis. Well, Never was able to get here, but Pacers still had interest. That was made clear by the fact that they set up a Zoom call anyway with Sohan. Now, ideally, I think you could get him a little later on. So in my perfect world, I'd take Matherin at 6 and trade into 10, 11, 12 spot and be able to get Jeremy Sohan there. Now we're really talking. Sohan can defend four, maybe five positions, so you're not worried about overlap there. He needs time to develop. Uh, his offensive game, very raw. But, you know, I think with Carlisle, with the other coaches, that's something he can work on, develop, evolve there. But I, I just can't do sharp there at six. Not much tape on him, so we're really on equal footing with the evaluators here. And more than anything, I just got a bad vibe. I'm avoiding A.J. Griffin, by the way. He's had two injuries in the last two years. And we all know we can't go through that again. Even if they're not serious, I wouldn't even want to gamble. Johnny Davis at six, I, I can't do that as well. That's a reach for me. I see him more as 10-11 spot um, with Johnny Davis. I wonder about his ceiling a little bit. I think he's solid, but I'm not enamored with him. I'd trade back, if anything, if you really want him. That's where I currently stand. I'll continue to be posting at fieldhousefiles.com. That's what you want to do. Subscribe. I think through the end of the month, I made it a free 30-day trial, uh, and then jump on board and uh, become a paid subscriber with me. Now, 
this uh, last week or so, the, all the Pacer scouts have been in town. They've been at all the last few workouts with the team and a few days here before the draft. Or, w- one of the big things they do is start creating the team's draft board. The front office and the scouts do and getting together. Uh, one thing in the past that Kevin Pritchard specifically has shared is how he'll listen more than he'll talk. He's using his scouts as you should, right, for their work. They're doing this all year long. They are on the road. They're talking to coaches, to trainers, to custodians, girlfriends, AAU coaches, all that type of stuff. And by doing that and then sharing your opinion later, you're not influencing them. You don't want, if you're the decision maker, you don't want to cloud anyone's judgment with, so to speak, impressing the boss. There's an inherent lean towards a guy if KP or one of the other front office members says that, and I think that's true for any team. The other thing here is it's about gathering intel, mostly on who teams like. They have to know what other teams want, what they like. Um, by now, they already know about all these players, but it's about what they may off- offer other teams, maybe what contracts or players other teams want to unload to trade up to get to your spot or nearby, and if they do, would they take your guy? So, for instance, if the Pacers aren't going to trade up to four, but another team might, they may need to factor in you know, who might go at four and five because of that. Now, the assumption is Ivy, then Murray, regardless of who it is. I guess there could be a team locked in on Shaden Sharp and his upside in trading up to get him. That really throws things for a loop. Uh, if Ivy, for example, is drafted second overall, what happens if Chef Holmgren, for example, is on the board at five? Then things also get really interesting. So that's what you're doing if you're a team here in the last couple of days. You already have most of your intel about players. It's all about other teams. Again, be very careful of what you're reading on Twitter about what is said and what is not as well. All right, as promised earlier Tuesday, Ryan Carr, the team's vice president of player personnel, spoke with local reporters about this year's draft, their preparations, a few individuals like Jaden Ivey, like Shaden Sharp, and like Benedict Matherin. Here's what Ryan Carr had to say in its entirety. What did Keegan's visit include? Uh, Keegan came in, he did, he did a workout, we interviewed him, took him to lunch what we normally do with with everybody that comes in. You guys have the highest pick you've had in over 30 years this year. Has that changed the way you've prepared? Has it changed the approach you've had with your staff? How have you guys kind of internally discussed things, picking so high? Yeah, we the process really, um, you know, is largely the same every year. Every year we review it, we add stuff to it, we, get, we try to get better at it. Um, you know, I think the caliber of player is a higher talent, but I don't think it affects the process in terms of evaluation and, and all the different things that go into making a decision on a player. Um, you're still, you know, you're still uh, doing a lot of work on them as people, doing a lot of, you know, analytics still run, does their thing. Uh, the evaluation, we're watching everybody, whether they're going to get picked first or go undrafted. So I, I don't know that the process uh, changes a lot, but I think, Obviously, the the potential of the players is is a higher potential. I know you guys evaluate your internal processes a lot. After a successful draft last year with Chris and Isaiah, is there anything you did last year for the first time that you took away and said, "Yeah, we got to do that again this year"? Uh, yeah, there's always things um, that we that we go back and we add, we take out, we change. Obviously, I'm not going to disclose, you know, exactly what we do or why we do it. But um, you know, if you're if you're not trying to 
improved just like anything. I mean, you know, we all, I, I'd assume you guys too, you do what you do and you try to get better at it. We do it the same. Um, you know, we, we want every pick to be successful. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be here a lot of years that over the years we've learned a lot in, uh, in what we do and how we do it and, um, you know, trying to refine it. How tough is it to build a board? And with, I mean, you're at six now, but you can move up, you can move back. Uh, how difficult is that to prepare for every contingency? Yeah, well, in this case, you're only dealing with five picks in front of you. So you can almost, you know, we feel like there's probably seven players that will go, could go in those five spots, uh, barring a huge curveball, which is always possible. So in that, in that way, I think, you have less scenarios that could go when you're picking 25 trying to figure out who for sure could be there that's that's actually a little bit harder um but we you know we feel really good about where we are uh we always do those exercises move up move down move back um you just you know as as kevin and chad those guys work through um you know what those different possibilities are we're you know, we prepare for them, give our recommendations, and and uh, make sure that we can answer any questions. What do you need to get out of this draft to feel like it's been a success? Well, obviously, you guys know. I mean, 32 years, right? Um, that we've, you know, we've traded in. Uh, I think Jonathan Bender and Al Harrington we traded traded into pretty high to get, but it's it's been a long time. And obviously, you want every player you pick, no matter what number, to succeed, but. You know, the sixth pick, this guy, we want him to be a foundational piece for us and are looking forward to adding that piece. How excited is it to have that opportunity to be in the top ten to, you know, have a chance to get, like you said, a foundational piece? Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun right now. Um, I would say the pro, the season to get here wasn't a whole lot of fun, uh, but hopefully this is a reward um, for all the players, our guys um, going through a tough season and, and our whole staff and being able to, you know, hopefully help us, you know, get back to where we want to be. How much different is the process when you're that high, meaning you have different elements that come into it. Guys only do solo workouts. Mm. Guys only do private workouts. Guys won't visit those different elements that you don't have at 18 and 23. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I haven't thought a lot about that. You, you just work with, with what you can do. You're, you know, these are agents, it's the same agents we deal with and build trust with no matter where we draft or who we're signing. So we have good relationships. We work through it. It's, um, you know, we do what we can do. Um, they're acting in the best interest of what they think for their client. We're acting in the best interest of our team. And, you know, we try to find where that is and what we can get done. The, the good thing is we've been able to talk to, be in front of uh, anybody that we would pick. So one way or the other, um, you know, we feel good about it. I'm not sure if you can share anything, but Jaden said he had a Zoom with you guys. How was that maybe different than well, we we interviewed yeah we we interviewed Jaden at the combine, so we were face to face with him there. We did another Zoom to be able to follow up and spend more time with him, and it was great. Um, I mean, he's a great kid. He's a great player. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think we have any reser reservations about him at all. What do you like most about Jaden Ivey's game? Man, his speed, I think, is what is what sets him apart. There's just not many players 
with that kind of speed, the ability to put the pressure on the rim and score. And then he's he's really improved over the past couple of years of shooting and has shown, uh, you know, ability to, to hit threes. And with somebody, I can't speak from experience, but somebody that fast, you know, if he can hit a jumper and go by you, I don't know how you guard him. That's a pretty tough guy to guard. Thank you. How far does Tier 1 expand for you guys? Uh, I'm not going to give you our tiers uh, on our draft board, but, you know, it would be great if one of those guys was there. I don't know if pressure is the perfect word, but picking this high for the first time in 32 years, like you said, do you feel more pressure to, to nail this draft or not? I, I don't. I my You know, look, our staff of scouts work as hard as no matter what pick we've had. We've had drafts where we didn't have any picks, and we still work as hard because you never know what's going to happen. And whoever you pick, you want to succeed. So I think the pressure we put on ourselves is pretty consistent. Um, and we always prepare to have the first pick. Um, that's just part of what we do and, and how we prepare. So it's fun. Like, it, it's fun to have this pick. It'll, it'll be exciting to see what happens Thursday night. Um, we feel good that we're going to get somebody that is going to be a great pacer. How do you what watch is- the draft? Do you watch it at home, or do you no, come here? No, like, we're, do you yeah. soak it in as a fan, kind of, or do you like really dial in? How do you kind of view it? Yeah, I mean, I'm here. We're in the room. Uh, I actually okay. am the one that says the says the name to the NBA, which is fun. Uh, you know, if I would have told my 12-year-old self that that was a job I'd have one day, I probably wouldn't have believed it. So, um, you know, we're just – we're there's phones ringing. We're going through – um, just making sure Kevin has all the information, make quick decisions that, um, you know, that we have all that information readily available and on hand. I have as much as I could pack in my brain ready. I have everything else in front of me um, just to make sure that that all questions can be answered. How important was it to get a guy like Shaden Sharp in, in person? Because you have film on all the other guys, but for him, he's kind of unique. Yeah, Shaden's journey is definitely unique. Um, I, he was a really, really nice kid. Um, I think he, you know, he, I give him a a ton of credit. They decided that they were going to do competitive workouts, um, which again, I, I, I give a lot of credit for, um, because we haven't been able to see him a lot. Uh, I mean, you had COVID on top just, and then his journey was very unique. So it was really good. I, I mean, we were obviously excited to get him in here uh, to work with him a little bit. He's very, really talented, talented kid. So, yeah, it was, it was important to get him here. What is the weight of a workout for you guys as a team? Part of it. Um, you know, I, I think we've talked about this in the past. Like, you, if you really like a player and they have a bad workout, you know, what you can't just throw out years worth of evaluation on a you know a 40 minute workout at the same time you, you don't like a player and then come in and hit every shot or do something you know how does that affect you? you you can't it would be dangerous to be rash on either side but it is something like I think it's important for them to get a chance to be coached by some of your coaches and see kind of how they handle it how quickly they pick things up um, all those things. Eric here to, you know, they work with, with Sean strength and conditioning. They meet the training staff. They meet so many different people. Um, the, the on-court workout, the 40 minutes is important, but the rest of the day is equally important.
What have you What have you enjoyed most personally throughout this process? Man, I I love the stories of the kids. Like I'm, you know, I'm kind of a softy at heart, and I love I, I love learning about the kids. I love each of their journey. Every single one of them is so unique. I've, however many years I've been here, 19, 20, whatever it is, there's no two the same. And it's really cool to to go through this part of it with them, talk to them. This is a huge, huge moment in their life. And, you know, to kind of see that through their eyes, especially as you get a little bit older and you reflect back or, you know, my kids are starting to get to the, some of the same ages as some of these kids. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really cool just to, just to kind of see them go through this time. Can you allow yourself to fall in love with a kid? Like you look at a trader, you hear a story, or, or do you need to be kind of a hard ass and you know not allow that kind of indulgence? Hopefully somewhere in the middle. Um, you are affected by kids. You naturally, just like anything, I'm sure you guys here like each other more than others, you know, as you get together. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're basketball players. You're, you're trying to evaluate who can be the best players. You know, likability isn't 100% of the, um, you know, uh, predictable, you know, isn't 100% predictable. So, yeah, it, you know, you try not to get too emotional. Um, you know, you're making a, a pretty big decision, trying to help make a big decision on who's going to be the best player for us. There's, you know, all different people have all different personalities and they can be successful at different things you know with those different personalities so you can't can't lock too in too much into the guy that walks out the door and you're like man i just love him i wish you know wish he was friends with my kid or something like that like that doesn't go into it what's it like to interact with a couple more guys matherin um talk about stories and he's got a pretty incredible he does kind of bet on himself to go to different countries sure yeah it's kind of what i went what I go back to you know what i said about each of these kids and their journeys and he's a great example i mean he's been through a lot he's you know he's been to mexico he's been all over the place to play and french is his first language and um you know i, I think that that's again one of the most enjoyable parts is learning kind of what these guys have been through and and for a kid like him you know probably has um, learn, learn to use that, you know, to motivate himself and be the player that he can be. I mean, it's a, he, he was, he was a fun kid to get to know. Kevin mentioned the determination at the draft lottery of maybe finding a guy who can really be part of the community who wants to be here, that type of thing. Mm. How much more is that a factor now in, in recent years? It's a, I mean, it's a piece of the discussion always. Um, I mean, we want all of our players to be a part of the community, and I think the Pacers as an organization go out of their way to to be a big part of the community, and um, and it's important to us. It's important to the city and the state, and of course, I mean, that's a that's something that that you want to you want guys that we bring here to be to align with. I was happy. Last one, guys. Added new perspective to you guys. Uh, well, Happy's super, super experienced. Um, he was an agent for a long time, has a lot of connections. He's a, he's, a, he's a great guy. I've known him for a long time, worked with him a lot with his players when he was on the other side. And, um, yeah, definitely it, it offers a, a perspective from the other side that's, that's helpful, another uh, good point of view.
All right, that wraps up this podcast. I'm headed to New York in the morning. We'll be there for the draft at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. We'll have several more stories coming to you leading up to the draft uh, and much more over at FieldhouseFiles.com. We'll report there from New York. And then the new player or players will be introduced as Pacers Friday afternoon. I will talk to you again soon. Soon.